Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to... We're going to stay in Proverbs, but we're going to step back and I'll explain why um, in just a moment. So often we talk about living the will of God, doing the will of God, and the average person in the pew sort of checks out because they say, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a missionary, I'm not an evangelist, so that's for somebody else. I'm going to present a Bible study tonight, I've entitled it, making God-honoring decisions. It came out of an illustration I gave Sunday night about the man who testified to me that he was convinced God had impressed on his heart that he had made a decision outside the will of God and it was bearing fruit in the life of his kids. Interestingly, I had two different people in the church uh, communicate with me about that, wanting more information. All I can tell you is what he told me, and that's what I did. He was absolutely convinced that he had stepped out of the will of God and it had an effect on his family. But that caused me to be thinking since Sunday. So how do we make God-honoring decisions? We all have to make decisions. Some are harder than others. Some people have a harder time making decisions than others just in their personality. Personality-wise, I generally do not have a difficult time making decisions. I have to slow myself down and make certain that I'm giving prayer and so on, that I'm not just running on knee-jerk reactions. Jan is slower to make decisions. We've come to understand that about ourselves and try and use that to help us. We're all different. I read an article uh, of a survey of a thousand people. This was in the United States. But the article stated of those thousand people, 76% of the women and 69% of men agonize over choosing their political candidate. Well, in today's day and time, probably all of us do. But uh, it was just showing decision making. Um, went on 63% of women are indecisive over what to wear for special occasion. I said, only 63%? That wouldn't surprise me. But then it said 71% of men have difficulty with the same decision. I think that that decision is freighted with, do I even want to go? But it didn't say that. And then it went on to say over 50% of the people surveyed had a difficult time deciding where to spend their vacation. The point of the article was decisions and decision-making. Had nothing to do with Christianity, biblical Christianity, just talking about the fact that people struggle with that. Well, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are very familiar, but I want us to read them. I want you to pay attention uh, to the wording because it'll come to play in our Bible study tonight. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Notice verse 7, be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. Psalm 1611 says, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures evermore. So thou wilt show me the path of life. There are numerous times in the Bible where the Bible makes that allusion to life being a journey. 
And God will show us the path he wants us to walk. What does that include? That includes decision-making because any path you walk, you come to forks in the road and you have to make a decision. Which way are you going to go? And he said, God will show us the path of life. Jesus said, if we're going to be his follower, his disciple, it's found in the, all the, uh, uh, the synoptic gospels, but Luke 9.23 puts it, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, that's a choice, and take up his cross daily, that's a choice, and follow me. Those are decisions we have to make. And some decisions are not difficult. Some people labor over them. Some of us don't. Some decisions are difficult for all of us. So we've got the problem of human nature in making decisions. We also have the problem of wrong teaching. Some years ago, it's about 20 years ago, there was a book that, in a Christian book that really was very popular, Decision-Making in the Will of God. I absolutely disagree with most of what Mr. Friesen wrote because the premise of the book is the will of God for Christians is sort of general in nature, moral maxims, but the rest of the decisions just do the best you can with the wisdom you have and God's okay as long as you're not committing adultery and robbing a bank and killing your neighbor. That absolutely is not what the Bible teaches because the Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. If we were going to take Mr. Friesen's teaching, then God is delighting in man's way rather than man delighting in the way God has for him to go. Or, Isaiah 55, 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts in your thoughts. So the Bible teaches us God's ways for us are not what we would naturally assume them to be. They're not, they're not, uh, what, what is just common knowledge. God shows us his ways. They're higher than our ways. And then there's one other reason why it's difficult before I start giving you some principles that I think will help. And that is the effect of sin and our sin nature on our human heart. Because we get so used to a way of living, we think that that's the right way. And sanctification is a lifelong process of our growth in holiness and likeness to Jesus Christ. And that brings wisdom, which we need to make God-honoring decisions. So how can I, as a believer, make God-honoring decisions? Let's remove the freighted language of knowing the will of God because we relegate that to a select few. And let's just broaden it out to say, how can I, as a person who wants to do what God wants me to do, how can I make God-honoring decisions, okay? Number one, we have to be surrendered 
to his will. In other words, we have to surrender our will to his will. We read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. So the question in this discussion of God-honoring decisions is do I really trust him with all? All my heart, all my mind. Am I surrendered to his will? What if it's something I don't want or something I don't prefer or something I don't agree with? I was talking to Pastor Eli about this today as we were talking about, you know, the service tonight. I said, I'm afraid too many Christians think that God's will is always bigger, brighter, and better. Well, if it's, if it's an upgrade, if it's more, if it's better, if it's more comfortable, it must be God's will. If that's the case, then Daniel was out of the will of God when he was thrown in the lion's den. If that's the case, Elijah was out of the will of God. I mean, we could go through biblical illustrations. Jeremiah was out of the will of God when he was thrown in the pit. I mean, he was preaching God's truth to the audience God told him to preach it to. It just didn't turn out so well. All the apostles thrown in prison. Folks, just because things are difficult doesn't mean it's not God's will. Move it into the modern generation. Then that means Jim Elliott and his four friends in Ecuador were all out of the will of God when they died on Palm Beach. Or... Adoniram Judson was out of the will of God when he buried two wives and I think four or five children in Burma. No, the truth of the matter is God's way is perfect. It doesn't say God's way is always understandable. And I have to surrender my will to his will. And so do you, if we're going to know the will of God. Proverbs 26, 12 says, Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. That word conceit is not talking about uh, somebody prideful or somebody arrogant. The word simply talks about mental or spiritual ability to discern. So if a person thinks that their thoughts are more important than God's thoughts, there's more hope of a fool than of them. Isaiah 5.21, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. You see, as we surrender to God regarding life, buying and selling a house, changing jobs, moving to new locations, it's not only what God wants, but it's also when God wants it. True surrender is shown in obedience. You see, you can't play games with God, folks. You can't say, God, show me your will, and then I'll decide if I'm going to do it. No, it doesn't work that way. A surrendered heart says, I will obey easier heart. Keep your finger here. Let's look at an illustration. Turn back to Exodus chapter 33. Of course, Exodus is the journey out of Egypt to the promised land. Moses is not allowed to go in the promised land because he didn't trust God when God said, speak to the rock. 
They've received the Ten Commandments. The journey now is continuing on. Moses comes to God. He's had his ups and downs. He's had his hard times in leading the people. Verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. Now, before we go on, I want you to notice that Moses wasn't to proceed until God gave him direction. By the way, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud are another illustration of God having a perfect plan for the journey of our life. If you were to go to the end of, is it Deuteronomy? It goes through and it shows all the encampments Israel had and and how God moved them through the land. And you chart that out. It's not a logical sequence, but it is what God had for them. So God said, depart and go up hence, i.e., I have a plan. Look down at verse 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, see, thou sayest unto me, bring up this people, and thou hast not uh, let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast Thou hast also found grace in my sight. Verse 13, now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence will go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Notice what Moses prayed for in verse 13. Show me now thy God, I'm not going anywhere till you give me direction. God has a plan. We won't turn there for sake of time. Gideon, chapter 6, God calls Gideon. What did Gideon, even though it's not a great illustration of determining the will of God, what did Gideon pray for before he ever went into battle? In chapter 6, verse 17, he said, Show me a sign thou talkest with me. So number one, you have to surrender your will. Too many people go to God with their agenda already figured out, their plan already there, and if they don't get a big red stop sign or slap across the face, they assume it's okay. That's not the way to do it. That's not the way to do it. Number two, not only surrender of your will, but there must be the supremacy of God's word. In other words, God isn't going to tell you specifics, but God is going to give you principles that guide our lives. And there are two reasons why it must be supreme. Number one, because it's God's word. (laughs) That's enough. But number two, and this is critical to note, God will never lead you to do something contrary to his word. You say, well, of course, Pastor. No, I can tell you through 42 years, I've had more than that number of people sit in my office and say, but I know this is God's will when I can show them verse that they were violating the truth of God's word. But he's a nice guy. I think he's going to get saved soon so I can marry him. And this job, it's... It's it's a lifetime opportunity, but there's no church to go to. There's no church to fellowship in. You know, I mean, I've had it happen, folks. 
God's word is God's word, and God never violates his word. Let me give you three quick illustrations. Marriage. God will never direct a believer to marry an unbeliever. Can two walk together except they be agreed? What, what concord hath light with darkness and so on, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But it's greater than that. If a person is called to lifetime ministry, they better not marry somebody who is not. Now listen to what I'm going to say. I had a mission director tell me for the field that he was over, 85% of the missionaries who came off the field, it was because one spouse or the other, once they got there, said, this isn't for me. Over 120 missionaries, folks, since I've been at Faithway Baptist Church, we at one time supported we do not support now. And less than that number are because of a doctrinal issue. It is a sad thing to watch, but if I interviewed the graduates of Faithway Baptist College of Canada, they all could name people that had great opportunity for ministry who are not in ministry because they didn't marry somebody with the same heart. Looks and talent and personality don't last in the trenches of spiritual warfare. I could not be in the ministry 42 years if Jan was not willing to say, this is what God has for us to do. Folks, when we drove up here and I met with the deacons long before you even knew my name was even in consideration, driving back down the 401, to Michigan on that Tuesday, I said to Jan, we weren't even out of the GTA. I said, I believe God is going to call us here. They haven't decided that yet, but I believe that in all my heart. Are you willing to come? Now remember, we had been at our previous church 15 years. We had just built a new home. We had no reason to leave. And if she would have said, you know, I really don't want to leave Michigan, then what am I supposed to do? Marriage relationships based on principle of the word of God. Let's talk about business. God had never lead a, a safe person to go into an equal partnership with an unsafe person. You can be subordinate, you can be superior, you can be the boss, you can be the employee, but not an equal partnership with an unsafe person. Or location, all, already referenced it, God has made it clear that for a Christian to be what God wants him to be, they need to be active, involved, present in a local New Testament Baptist church. So God would never lead somebody to an area where there isn't a church to do that. It doesn't matter how lucrative, it doesn't matter how wonderful the opportunity, it doesn't matter if it's a dream job or not. God does not violate his word. Psalm 119, 24, 
Thy testimonies also are my delights and my counselors. In fact, turn to Psalm 119. Just back a few pages from Proverbs 3. Psalm 119, look at verse 98. Psalm 119, 98. Thou, through thy commandments, hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. Who's he, what's he talking about? Every verse here is referencing the word of God. God made me wiser through his word than my enemies, 100. I understand more than the ancients because I kept thy precepts. Verse 104, through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. God's word doesn't give us specific direction, but it does, if we apply the principles, answer the questions. We'll know the directions we're supposed to take. You know, as I said in the introduction, uh, the Bible and secular literature have often made the analogy of life being a journey. Before there were cartologists writing maps, drawing maps, God had a map for your life. In eternity past, God had a plan. Now, none of us live it perfectly, but God in his grace is able to bring uh, wonders out of it. But the least conflicted life is a life that is saying to God, you give me the steps, you show me the way, that's the way I will walk. He'll give clarity. So the surrender of our will, the supremacy of God's word, thirdly, settle decisions in prayer. Settle decisions in prayer. Genuine prayer humbles the heart to say, yes, Lord. But prayer is me talking to God. You know what? If that's all your prayer is, you haven't learned to pray well enough yet. Prayer often is silence before God, letting him take the word that you have put into your heart and make application to what you want to pray about. Colossians 1.9, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why should you be filled? That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. So we need to learn the truth as we pray about it. God shows us how to live this out, being fruitful in every good work. What the verse is teaching us is God's truth as settled in our heart, as it's prayed through, energizes us to do God's will. Two chapters later, in fact, turn to Colossians chapter 3. We mentioned this Sunday night, so I'm just going to brush on it and go. Colossians 3 verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts 
to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart. You want to know one of the most abused phrases in the word of God? I've got peace about it. But it's against what God said, but I've got peace about it. But it's not even honoring to God, but I have peace about it. Now, notice how that the peace of God, which rules, is connected to the word of God, which dwells richly. What does it mean that the peace of God rule? It's to act like an umpire. What does an umpire do? It calls the strikes and the balls. In volleyball, it calls what's inbounds and what's out of bounds. That's what the word of God does by the spirit of God. It, it gives peace because it rules. I knew that if we did not come to Faith Way Baptist Church in the midst of that uh, cataclysmic time, I would be out of the will of God. Was I filled with fear? Absolutely. Did I think that the whole thing could explode? Absolutely. But I knew that I had to obey God in spite of all that fear. You see, the will of God isn't always easy. Making decisions that are God-honoring are not always logically common. But they have to be surrendered in our will, put under the truth of the word of God, settled in prayer, then number four, confirm the decision through counsel. By the way, if you want one more verse for the last point, Matthew 7, 7 and 8, where Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. God will open doors, God will close doors, but he doesn't expect us to take an ax to him and barge through, which a lot of people do. But we need to move on. Confirm the decision through counsel. If you are, have a sincere desire to know and make a decision that honors God, there's no reason not to seek godly counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen: where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. Proverbs 24, 6, for by wise counsel, thou shalt make thy war, and in multitude of counselors, there's safety. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they're established. Proverbs 20, 18, every purpose is established by counsel and with good advice make war. I am not at all suggesting I need to be involved in the decisions you make. That's not at all. I've got plenty to do. I was in a church for a while that it had been programmed to think that you were to go talk to the pastor every time you painted your house, every time you bought a new car. That's ridiculous. But the Bible does say that we are to seek counsel. So what kind of counsel and why? True counsel isn't to tell you what to do. True counsel is to help you see it with a fresh set of eyes. Sometimes you've heard the phrase, we can get too close to the forest to see the trees. Somebody else sees it a little differently. They 
you know what? They, they, they're able to say, have you thought about this? What about this? What about this? Somebody comes to me and asks about a decision. I don't think you could find somebody that I've said, yes, there's the will of God. There have been a few times I've said, you know what? If I were in your shoes, based on what you've told me, I think this is what I do, but you better settle that before the Lord. It's not my job to tell you God's will. But you're wise to seek counsel. We, we, we need to seek counsel from somebody that has more experience than us. Foolish is the person who seeks counsel from a peer who's at the same life stage or, or younger than them. Just because they sound like they know it all, I promise you they don't. A true counselor will love you enough to tell you what you don't want to hear. Speaking the truth in love. I love you too much to not warn you about this. But the problem is far too many seek counsel after they've already got a plan in motion. Their heart's already involved. Emotionally, they're already there. They're not seeking counsel. What they want you to do is give your approval because they're feeling guilty. I can't tell you the number of times that's happened. You know, those persons, they come looking for counsel because they want somebody to be able to blame if it blows up in their face. They didn't come to have God confirm what he's already showed them in the word and in prayer as they've labored surrendering their will. They've already made the decision. They just want you to say, sounds good to me. I read the story about a teacher who some years ago was cheated out of a sum of money through, you know, a smooth operator. Finally, she went to the Better Business Bureau. She lived in Minneapolis at the time. And they said, why didn't you come and check with us first? We have a whole department to warn you about these kind of people. And her answer was, I was afraid you would tell me not to do it. That's exactly why people don't ask counsel. I've had people say, oh, I'm not going to ask you, Pastor. I know what you'd say. Oh, really? I don't even know what I'd say. I've had them say that to me. Look, some don't seek, uh, seek spiritual counsel for that very same reason. But that's not number one on the list. Number one is surrendering your will. Number two is making sure the word of God is supreme. Number three is laboring through in prayer. And then number four is seeking counsel. And lastly, sometimes God will affirm decisions through circumstances. But circumstances alone can be deceitful. You see, God-honoring decisions are not always logical. For example, it wasn't very logical for Gideon's army to be whittled from 30,000 to 300. But that was God's plan. It wasn't logical for David to be sent down into the Valley of Elah to do battle against an experienced mammoth soldier like Goliath, but that was God's plan. It was not logical for God to tell Abraham to take his young adult son Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah and to kill him as a sacrifice 
when Abraham and Sarah had waited all those years for a child. But it was God's plan. You see, when God's plan and will is revealed in his word and settled in prayer, it sometimes will conflict with logic. But if it does, are you going to let your mind rise above God's plan? Logic isn't always the answer. Now, the truth is God can confirm his leading through circumstances. There's no doubt about that. And after 12 years of being here and and the joy that we've had in watching God do what only God can do, God has affirmed a decision I made 12 and a half years ago through circumstances. But at the time, the circumstances were anything but helpful. We fall into the trap of either overlooking circumstances or overemphasizing them. We need to be careful how much weight we put on circumstances if we want to have God-honoring decision-making. Because when we depend on circumstances, we are getting our focus off the Lord and we're getting them on what's going on around us or our own will, or our own plan. Folks, I'm not, I'm not on an agenda tonight. It's rare for me to have two different people ask a question about that illustration, but as I prayed about it, I felt like this was a teaching moment for our church. Unfortunately, a lot of people are not here. I can't do anything about it. But I can teach and preach what I believe God's word says. And I showed you however many verses. Here's what happens. And as your pastor, I'll say this with all sincerity. Good people, been saved a long time. Their life is secure. They've, you know, they've done fine. So they feel like they've graduated to a place where they don't have to pray about any decisions. They just make them. They don't go through some kind of process of what does God say about this? What what is God's word about this? They they, They don't humble themselves enough to seek counsel from a brother in Christ who has been down the road a little bit or a sister in Christ. I'm good enough. I can do it on my own. There may not be life-altering consequences to the decision. But if God could give us spiritual glasses to see what could have been and what was because we were self-willed rather than surrendered to his will, I think we would all choose the latter. Just don't assume anything. Don't barge ahead. I'm big enough, smart enough, strong enough, wise enough. Go to the word of God. Go to your knees. Surrender your will. And don't move till God gives you direction to do so. Till the pillar of cloud or the pillar of cloud moves, you better not move. 
The best advice I can give you is while waiting, do the last thing God told you to do and stay there.